Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 48. Laura Beer stops by the show. Are you ready to go back in time? Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your Prolific Writer Podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton. I am so glad that you are here. It is episode 48, the podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, write often, and write well, or well, and often and fast, or however you see it. I'm so glad that you are here, however you're listening to us, however you found us. You're on the train, you're on the commute, you're working out, you're taking the kids to school, you're doing the dishes, doing the laundry, whatever you find yourself doing. I hope this podcast encourages you, inspires you, helps you get those words on the page. And I have another wonderful guest on the show today, Laura Beers, who hails from South Carolina, and she is a newbie author. She has just launched her first book, A Historical Romance, and we're going to dig into that and talk about that what her experiences have been like as far as a new author, but she is also a very prolific writer, even though this is her first book, she's already got two more books uh, in the series ready to go and going to be launching those out soon in the next few months. And uh, also has, I think three or four more books in the series already ready outlined working on those. And so she is a, a prolific writer and she has an interesting background. She was a technical writer and, and kind of learned the craft through, through writing technical, uh, doing technical kind of writing, and then also making that transition. And we talk about that, what that's like from making a transition from kind of technical writing to fiction writing and what that was like, but also the things she learned and the things that helped her along the way. And so I, I really hope you're inspired and encouraged and get a lot of practical advice and tips on the show. And I know you will from Laura and, and it's good for us to have kind of newer writers because I know 
if you listen to the show, you'll hear people that have written, you know, 29 books in a year and write a book a month and have written hundreds of books. And, and I, I don't want you to feel discouraged, but I want you to feel encouraged that it's, it's doable. It's possible to continue to write, continue to, to get out work on a consistent basis. And, and you have to do what, what kind of works for you. And so we're going to dig into a lot of that today and talk about publishing and getting your work out there. And I, I really am so thankful to have met Laura and uh, made a new friend. And so you're going to going to love this interview. Uh, just a couple of things before we, we jump into the interview. Just first, I always want to say thank you for all your kind words and comments and emails. And I know we're in the middle of NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month. And so if you are participating in that and it's November and you're listening to the show, just want to encourage you, just keep on going, keep on working. Um, I am writing two, because I'm crazy like that, two kids books, uh, shorter books, but with my son who has given me ideas and helping me uh, kind of craft these two stories. And so I'm working on two novels, uh, cranking along, doing doing well. Um, over halfway done to my word count. I'm actually going to try to be done before Thanksgiving, which is crazy. Uh, that that's the 23rd. And so, um, you know, why not, why not be even crazier? Uh, just cause I got a lot going on, a lot of other responsibilities. And so I just want to, want to get that, those drafts done and, and, uh, yeah, start working on polishing those and, and getting them edited and all that fun stuff. So I'll tell you more about that as I continue on and uh, hope you're doing well. Hope you're getting those words on the page. Um, you might hear this announcement at the end as well, but leave a review. Love to have your feedback. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to the show. It really helps us get to the show out into the world. Share it on social media. Share it on Facebook. Writer Prolific, you can share the, the our Facebook uh, stuff, Facebook and Twitter and the website, theprolificwriter.net. Check that out as well. There's a lot of good re- writing resources there as well. So enough of me babbling, enough of me talking. I need you to hear Laura Beers. Be encouraged, be inspired. So without further ado, here's the interview. Well, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. Uh, I am privileged today to have Laura Beers on the show. And Laura has spent most of her childhood with a nose stuck in a book. She's been dreaming of becoming an author. She attended uh, BYU or Brigham Young University, eventually be earning a Bachelor's of Science degree in construction management. So obviously becoming an author made sense. Uh, many years later, and with loving encouragement from her family, Laura decided to start writing again. So uh, she is a full-time homemaker. She has three kids. She loves water skiing, hiking, and drinking Dr. Pepper. She currently lives in South Carolina. And so, Laura, say hello and uh, fill in any gaps where I missed. Hi. Everything sounded great. Uh, let's see. During that time, um, I have managed to water ski, and I am now a runner. So I run so fast that the paramedics follow behind me and see if I need assistance. So I do about 10 minute miles. So it's very impressive. Nice. Nice. I just, uh, I just ran my first half marathon a few weeks ago and, um, I'm, I'm still regretting my life choices. So, um, it, it, uh, it it was not as enjoyable as I, I thought it would be. Oh, it's just miserable. I mean, so many people dream of half marathons. It's on their bucket list or the marathons, but it is hard work. Yeah. And I've heard when you're done, your feet are super sore and you have all these problems afterwards. It's, it's very, it's a good commitment, but it's tough. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's like you hear the yeah, running's good for you, and I know, but everyone looks miserable when they run. I mean, if you just look at their faces, I mean, nobody's smiling. It's it's just I don't know. I, I'm I'm not there yet. So, well, you, I, well, I actually one of the reasons why I enjoy running. I'm not like I said, I'm not fast. Is um, whenever I need to do my next chapter or storyline, I go running and I replay um, the scene in my head over and over again. Oh, nice. So it kind of helps me forget that I'm torturing my body. Yeah, yeah, so. I, yes, that's the key to running. I found like I have to blare music, like just so I kind of like forget the world and the pain in my body. Louder, the better. So uh, true. Well, hey, true. Laura, really, really great to have you on here, and and I'm excited to have you on because uh, we always um, try to balance out our guests, and um, and this is not a knock on you, but you have just published your very first book. And, um, you know, we're the prolific writer, so you only have one, but, um, I always wanted to bring on, on guests and it's part of the reason I brought you on is because I I love hearing the process of where you started, how you got here, how you produced your first book, because we have a lot of people listening and they're all over the the map as far as their writing career and journey and all that. And so I don't want to have everyone. I mean, we have people that have written hundreds of books and some have just written one. So we want to make sure that uh, we, we balance out our, um, our guest list and you're going to bring a lot of encouragement to those listening. So, um, so I wanted to just kind of kick off our conversation. You wrote a, um, now correct me if I'm wrong, historical romance is your first book, correct? Um, and I want to get into that genre in particular in just, just a moment, but, but talk a little bit kind of about your background, your kind of creative journey. How, how did you start writing? Why did you start writing? Obviously in your little bio, it, you know, you might, it sounded like you stopped for a while and then kind of picked it back up. Uh, so talk a little bit about influences growing up, um, all that good stuff. Well, when I started off, um, I told my mom when I was younger that I wanted to be a writer. And so she encouraged me as a good mother, but I also told her I wanted to be president of the United States, an astronaut, (laughs) a princess. Um, The list could go on. And so um, as I continued on and went through high school, you know, I played three sports. I was super busy and I went to college. Um, I, I, I thought about being a writer, but I was drawn towards the technical side, the engineering side, the construction management. And I absolutely loved it. I love technical writing because it's so simple. It's you write exactly what you want. You are, you know, in construction, I would write, you know, you are breaking the contract because, and then you write exactly, you reference the contract. And anyways, I really enjoyed that. But the problem was, is it completely takes away from ever writing a novel. Writing a novel is a lot more um, different words, you know, and descriptions and everything. And so um, I kind of just put that dream on hold, but I've always been a big daydreamer. I always have these stories in my head and one of the advantages I've had, I never have a problem falling asleep because I always love putting my head down on my pillow and dream of these stories, these characters. And so it wasn't until my youngest, um, who's seven now, was about five um, when I became an avid reader again. I just kept picked up book after book because I had time. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, I would really like to write this book. And so about a year ago, about actually a year and a half now, um, I sat down and I wrote the book. But the problem was when, like I said, my background was in technical and I had no experience of how to write a novel and it was very painful. And um, luckily I had very smart friends that reminded me where to put commas, the different nuances of the English language. And then obviously it came back to me. And then, of course, later I hired a professional editor, obviously. But um, 
it, it definitely is a learning curve, remembering all the things, because you can't just sit down and say, I'm going to write a book, mm-hmm. but you've never had any background or experience in it. It's, it's a lot harder to write a book than just sitting down and put words onto a paper. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. We, we've had quite a few guests that have been journalists or technical writers. And a lot of them have said that actually when they've kind of made the transition to fiction, that it helped them a lot on the kind of being able to crank out a lot of words, being able to be prolific in that way. Have you found that to be true in kind of making that transition? Obviously the grammar stuff's different, but um, yeah. The the grammar stuff is different, definitely. But um, I can sit down and I can write a a lot because it's in my, it's in my mindset. It's in my brain follow down of the pattern. The mm-hmm. consistency, okay, this needs to happen before this, before this, before mm-hmm. this. So that it that actually comes easy. People that are say they're all over the place and they don't know where to go from, the outline is in my head. And I mm-hmm. think people who have more technical backgrounds, they, they have the outline in their head already focused and so it's easier to put down. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that this is important because, you know, when you go back and you edit your work, even, you know, fiction piece is you are looking for, and I think, you know, the artist side of us goes, oh, that's not important, but, but that structure, is it clear? Like, you know, this is happening and then this is happening and this is happening. Why did he go over there? Why did she go over there? That doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, they're over here and then now they're over there. Um, there is something about going back and kind of asking those questions and saying, does it actually make sense? So like when I send stuff to editors and, and beta readers, I always say, hey, just make sure it's clear because in my head it's clear, but sometimes I maybe not as clear as I think I am. Um, but maybe that's, yeah, helped you a lot. <clears throat> well, and it's it's also another thing is in my brain, and I, I once saw a picture of this, if uh, every writer, they obviously, if someone has a drink in their hand, um, you don't constantly mention the drink in their hand over and over again. And so they once had a joke about how every character in every book always has a drink in hand or something like that. <laughs> but it, it's true. You you reference it once and then you either put it down. And as a technical person, you think, okay, that person has a drink in their hand. They need to put it down before they jump up and hit this person. Or they need to put it down before they jump up in outrage. And so you do need to focus on that. But yeah. One of the advantages of having beta readers and editors read books is because they're they're kind of look, standing back looking. Because in our mind, it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. exactly what the characters are doing at all times. Right. Yeah, it's, it's that thing where how did they get to the other side of the room? I don't understand how, you know, they went through the window and then, you know, it's, it's just those little things. But in your head, yeah, you're like, oh, it makes total sense. Um, yes, it makes total just, sense in you, our heads. Yeah, you just don't see my vision. That's all. That's yeah. your fault. Um, so let's, let's dig into that a little further. So you, you know, the technical writing, the writing was always kind of part of your life. You dreamed about this. Now, when you're thinking about this historical romance with these characters, what now were these characters that you had kind of, you know, in your head since you were a little girl or that was that a new idea? Talk, talk us through kind of that process of where the kind of Genesis of your first book came from. Well, um, I think the advantage for, for me is being a daydreamer. Um, I've always wanted to be a spy, Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to be obviously a princess, which my character is actually a daughter of a duke, which is very close. Um, she's also a spy. Um, and so anyways, I, I've had characters go through my head a lot. And like I have different stories going through my head. But um, I really loved the Regency time period. And the Regency time period is between about 1810. It, it kind of references to like 1830. There's a specific time period over in England. And I really like it because of the customs and the tradition. And and I really like happily ever afters and gentlemen, like really big gentlemen. And 
anyway, so I was drawn towards that time period as I was reading. So while I was reading these, all of a sudden I thought it would be really cool if a daughter of a duke had a photographic memory, who's just really gifted, who's really smart, but society overlooked her because they obviously did not value women. And so she became a spy. And in doing so, she became like this notorious spy. And actually, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but in World War II, some of the greatest spies were women because there's mm-hmm. the same with World War I. They were overlooked. Mm-hmm. Men didn't value that for what they were, and they were able to go under the radar. So I had no doubt during the Napoleon Wars um, or even war against America, obviously when England did that, that there were female agents. No, I love that. I, I love what you're, you're saying, that what if, what if. I mean, everyone always asks, you know, how do you get ideas? Where are they? And you just kind of ask these what if questions. Well, what if that? And what if that? And, you know, sometimes they're good ideas. Sometimes they're not. And, you know, that's the beauty of fiction, right? I mean, it's why not? You know, um, so I want to dig a little further because we I don't know. I, I think I've had one or two historical fiction writers, um, but I love history. Like I'm just a history buff and I read a lot of just all kinds of history from, you know, ancient history to, to new, more modern history. But um, I'm always curious about the research process. So you got this kind of seed of an idea, like how much research were you, you know, did you already kind of have a background with this? Have you read some things about spies in the 1800s in England and, and all that? Or how much did you do before you actually came to the page? Well, um, I was actually, like I said, I became an avid reader of Regency romance books. But just because you're an avid reader of a certain type of books does not make you an expert on that <laughs> time frame. Um, it gives you ideas, but obviously everything I had to look up to, the dresses she wore, the high-waisted um, little words that, you know, empire waste, which nowadays is common phrase. Empire waste was not used back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, and the this book revolves around, there. it is the Napoleon War, obviously, during the time, but Lady Eliza, um, Lady Eliza Beckett has actually uncovered a white slavery ring. And this is what the first book is about, is a white slavery ring, and how she finds out through her lady's maid, who was actually plucked off the street and was sold to this man, um, the the villain, and she was sent to a brothel um, and sold. And And Lady Eliza happened to be in India, and she bought her. And she discovered what was going on. And so she stepped in to help these women. And human trafficking is sadly has been going on since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And especially back in the 1800s, women would be taken off the street because a lot of people wanted the European, the blonde hair, the blue eyes at their brothels. And so they were sold. So this is actually a very common thing at the time. And so I I obviously researched that, researched the clothing, researched the style. Um, The second book was actually... Going to be released December 1st, which is called The Peculiar Courtship, actually goes more into the Napoleon War and how French spies have actually infiltrated um, the English Parliament. So there's, there was a lot more research specifically of the Napoleon Wars, and my editor kept saying, You got to be careful. The moment you start referencing real people at real times, mm-hmm. all of a sudden people are going to be Googling it and looking at it right. and making sure you're accurate. So you can, as long as you're in that time period and you kind of give basic outlines, I don't think people are as picky, but the moment you bring in real characters, um, you bring in like real, um, like war units, like there was a war regiment that was actually mentioned, a French war thing, all of a sudden people will Google those to see if 
oh, that's really interesting. What exactly happened to that war, you know, that French regiment mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I did have to be very careful double checking that. But um, I love history. Mm-hmm. I love searching things. So I will start researching it while I'm reading or while I'm writing it. I'm writing it and then I go, okay, I need more. And the great thing about the internet and books is there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. That's great. So uh, Saving Shadow is the first book. And obviously it sounds like by the title that there's more in the series. You just mentioned that too. There's book one. Um, and I want to get into that research just a little bit further because I think this will help a lot of, a lot of uh, writers as well is how do you find that kind of sweet spot or that balance of th- this is always the writer question. How much research do I bring into the book? Um, because you, you know, you get excited. Oh man, this really cool thing in this war and this, you know, this, this character, how do I not just dump a bunch of, you know, crazy information on, on someone and it just becomes kind of a bo- boring stale. So how did you kind of navigate those waters when you were trying to write, write your first book? Well, um, the first book, like I said, some people, it's interesting because some of my reviews, um, have said, I love, you know, my Laura Beers' description of all the clothes because everything she wears, the women just had so much money, especially the daughter of the Duke. And she actually had crushed rubies inside of her ball gown, Hmm. which happened. Women had, um, diamond encrusted, you know, shoes, sandals, not sandals, excuse me, slippers. Um, anyways, and so some people really appreciate that fact and some people have praised it. Other people are like, Oh, I did not want to know what else she was going to wear the next day. <laughs> you know, they didn't say it specifically, but right. some people want as much information as you can give them. Other people want to use their imagination. Mm-hmm. So it's that fine line of trying to figure mm-hmm. out. Um, it's interesting because even though it, my book is kind of, it brings up white slavery, post post-traumatic stress, living conditions in the slum. It actually is a very light, fun read. I mm-hmm. love witty banter. Mm-hmm. I love the characters, you know, kind of like a brother and sister, like, you know, teasing each other, um, having fun, like witty retorts. But some of the things I found, like, for example, um, in my third book that's coming out in April, Napoleon actually wrote a um, romance novel. And he actually gave it to his officers to read. And so I thought, I have to put that in my book because no one considers... You know, Napoleon actually wrote a romance novel. Um, also, he was rumored to be afraid of cats, but that mm-hmm. was, in fact, a rumor. Mm-hmm. But so I li- put those little fun anecdotes in there because I thought people might enjoy mm-hmm. and those things. Um, other things more hardcore, like um, Prini, um, which was the Prince Regent at the time, was very eccentric. And he was also, he was a ladies' man, but he was also heavily in debt. And so you try to put you know, those little facts in without being overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting tidbits. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's good because I I think when people, you know, they think about, Oh, historical romance, I'm not going to read that. That's just boring. Um, is that's probably what they think. They think either just all information, all historical. And the reality is you're trying to like pepper those things in to give a context, but also give the reader the, the space to kind of imagine what that might be like. Because um, that drives me crazy when you know books are f- four million pages because it's all description and you really don't even need to think <laughs> because it's all, all given to you. Um, but that's why we read, right? It's to kind of take us to another a place, to another time period, to another era. I mean, it, exactly. it, that that's the fun of it. I mean, you probably had that. Right? I imagine you had that writing the book. You know, you're imagining, man, what would this been like? And you know, these golden, or I shouldn't say gold, ruby encrusted dresses and ruby slippers and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's pretty cool. Like to just imagine that and go, wow, what would they say? How would they talk? I mean, that that's the fun of writing. 
Oh, it's so much fun. I, I, and that's the thing. It's my husband does call this my expensive hobby right now, my <laughs> writing. But um, it, I would either be either reading or writing because I absolutely love being taken to another place and imagine what my life would be like in that role. I become almost that character. And that's, like I said, for me, the characters that I make are the characters I would want to be friends with. They're all very distinct. They're all different personalities. But these are people I would actually would want to know or want to you know live in their lives for a little bit. So kind of a little selfish of that. But they're fun. It's meant to be fun. So when did, when, excuse me, when did you have kind of that aha moment, uh, where I always ask this question cause I, I find it interesting is, um, kind of that, I think I, I can do this. I want to do this. Um, I can be a writer. I can write the book. Was there a moment in time? Um, you know, any time in your life that you just felt like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is why, I mean, kind of what you just described, you know, you love going to those places and imagining and daydreaming and all that. Um, was there a moment in time where you could say that happened? You know, actually, there was a time. Um, I was I was with my friend. Like I said, I um, I wrote my first draft of the book of Saving Shadow, and uh, I was my I gave my friend who she was actually you know a good friend of mine, and she actually majored in you know English literature, and she you know to write books, and she was a copy editor, and and uh, she read my book, and she's like, it's horrible, <laughs> and I said okay. I said, she says, it's not so much, she says, you're, the theories are there, the contexts are there. She says, but you don't know what you're doing, you know, because I would just write paragraph, paragraph, you know. And anyways, and so I would take her out to lunch, out to In-N-Out. I'm not sure if you guys have that there, In-N-Out or Rubio's and that. And slowly she, like I said, reminded me and kind of basically showed, okay, you, you can't just write these big paragraphs. You need to break them up and all and basic stuff, stuff that you would learn and, you know, or at least after being a stay at home mom for 15 years, you know, you kind of forget. And anyways, and about after like maybe three or four of those times, all of a sudden, um, I'm starting to come together. And I said, I turned to her and I said, I can do this. And she's like, you can't because I picked it up quickly Mm -hmm. because like I said, I've just been out of practice, but, um, it was that moment of, I'm going to write a book. Mm -hmm. It might not be very good at the time. It might not be very good, but I'm going to write this book. And then obviously I got better and better and I had more beta readers. And like I said, then I hired an editor and then the publisher, but it was that moment of, I think I can pull this off. Mm -hmm. And then now with my second book coming out, it's like, am I going to have two books coming out? Like, it's just, Mm -hmm. to me, it's just so overwhelming. And so I can't believe it. Now my kids, um, they could care less that their mom has written a book. Mm -hmm. They are more excited about the pretzel at our gas station than they are about my book. (laughs) Yep. But maybe one day they'll be appreciative of the books out. Yeah. No, I I find it interesting, like family and friends, like they don't read your books. They're just like, oh, that's cute. You know, but it's just, it's just, it's a weird thing. It's not like, that's not real. That's just your little thing. Um, Well, it's actually sad because when I first, my first book came out and I put up on my Facebook account and everything, some of my family and friends thought it was a joke Mm -hmm. because I did do jokes sometimes. Sometimes they're elaborate. But they really thought that I was messing with them. <laughs> and I had to actually prove to them right. that I was not messing with them. And right. they did actually buy my book, but they thought I, it was a prank. That's great. That's great. I love that. 
So something you said earlier about um, this, the, the aha moment, um, I, I wonder, too, if, if just, you know, you, you, you read a lot of books, you devoured a lot of books. There's there's something about that where you begin to see as a writer, especially if you're just starting out, you know, like you said, things like paragraphs and, you know, where to break them down and grammar and all that kind of stuff. Um, just reading a lot, you, you know, even just studying a book and going like, how do they what does the page look like? You know, where does the dialogue come? How much description do they use? You know, and again, every book's different. There's no, you know, one way. Um, but something about studying that, reading that and kind of going, okay, so when I go to my writing desk, I I go, oh, yeah, maybe I don't need long, massive paragraphs. I can do short things. And you just kind of kind of learn that. But, but I think I bet I wonder as you were kind of picking that up very quickly was because the fact you devoured so many books and, and it, it was just a little more innate because I think we all panic. We go like, oh, I just can't do this. I just, it's the grammar of this, all that. But the more we read, the more you just kind of pick up. Um, I, I just heard a guy today talk about his writing coach. Um, I think he was in school. I think he did some kind of writing degree. He said he actually told the class to take their favorite short story and rewrite it by hand just to see you know, why, why did they break it down this way? Why did the character do that? How did they build out characters? How do they build out a plot? And he said that was one of the best exercises he ever did was just, just kind of unearthing a story and saying, what makes this work? Why does it work? Why, why am I interested? Why do I keep reading? You know, all those kinds of things. And then you kind of put it back together and go, okay, I can do this. I think I can do this. And then you just put your own characters in there. One of the worst things that I, because like you said, I, I read all the time. If I'm not writing, I'm reading. And, uh, there's a couple, I, some authors that I love that no matter what they write is like, to me is like golden, but there's been a couple books that I've opened up that I go, Ooh, that sentence, I would have done it differently. <laughs> and then I realized, right. Okay. I got to stop it. Cause everyone writes differently. Right. And not that I'm better than them. Cause like I said, I only have one book and mm. most of them have a lot more out there, Sure. but it's just all of a sudden you go, okay, so I really like what they did here. So when I go to write my book, you know, one of this, I'm going to use that general, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that, but obviously change it around a lot. You know, it's just all of a sudden you start critiquing other authors that are way better than you. So everyone writes differently. Yes. That's a danger. I just heard someone talk about the other day of, of just ruining reading for writers is because you're constantly putting on the critic hat and not just enjoying the story. And, and um, I I do that. I I do a lot of public speaking. And like, when I listen to someone give a presentation, I'm just like, Oh, that's horrible. You know, why did you do that? Why did you, you know, I would have never opened that way. You know, it's like, you just, it's hard to just like enjoy. You just like take that hat off and stop. I mean, we probably do that with everything in life, but you know, even as parents, like, why do they say that to their kids? Um, but anyway, um, well, most people, when they're out in public with their kids, they become the most patient people in oh, the yeah. world. Yeah. Like, Oh, geez, <laughs> I've never done that. When my, <laughs> when my kid melts down in the middle of target, but anyway, um, so, uh, so let's go a little bit further. And I, I wanted to, uh, I thought this would be fun because you're so fresh off of, um, writing your first book, getting it published, getting it out in the world. It's doing really well. And I'm really excited for you. And uh, I wanted to just, because we have a lot of writers in different, um, you know, spaces, different parts of their journey. Um, some have written a ton of books. Some are just learning. Some are wanting to write, um, is talk about kind of the process of this first book. And, um, so I want to, I want to kind of break down your whole process. And so I want to start with, and we'll just kind of break these down by like categories, um, is just start with your kind of writing process. So let's just start with the, and we'll get into editing and some design and promotion, and all that stuff, but let's just start with the writing process. So talk about your actual getting the words on the page. What does that look like for you? What are you kind of learning along the way? So, um, 
with my first one, um, it, it was this constant, massive rewrite. I would write, I would write, actually, I'll rephrase it. I had a very basic outline, and then it kept adding and growing along the way. Um, my second one was, was a lot better. Um, I just sit down and I write. And I start and I write until I get to the end. And sometimes when um, I, I like it, it, it's like the general idea. I, I like where it's going, but it's not perfect. And then when I get to the end, I see, okay, this is exactly where my characters have ended up. And I like where they've ended up. And then I go back and I make sure everything lines up. And obviously, and then I start the editing process. But And that's what I did with the third one. That, um, the third book I wrote... Um, which I can't really say too much because too many spoilers, but I'd say who are in there was, but it was really sad. It was a really sad story to write. And by the time I got to the end, I thought, no, I, I can't have it this sad. I can't have, even <laughs> though this character had endured so much over her short period of time, I can't have it that sad. Mm -hmm. So I saw where she ended up and then I went back and I, I modified her character a little to be more, open and fresh, even though horrible things had happened to her to be more, um, just more outgo not outgoing, but a little more, um, not as reserved. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I like to do. I know I have the general idea, the outline in my head. Mm -hmm. So I kind of exactly where I'm going to go. But for the most part, I sit down and I go, okay, this is what I want in this chapter or this thing. And then I just kind of write, mm -hmm. I just go for it. So did you have a set deadline for yourself? Like, did you say, I have to write so many words per day, per week, per month? Uh, did you know how long the book would be? Or is that just kind of, you felt like when the story's done, it's done? Well, my editor, she does not, I say that bad, but I love my yeah, editor. Yeah, you say that very begrudgingly. She, yeah. <laughs> my editor. Wants, <laughs> yeah. She wants the word count to be 85,000. Okay. The first one was 85,000, right around there. The second one I handed her at 95,000 and I said, I, there is no way I can go smaller than 95,000. She edited it back and gave me a list of things at 90,000. So she somehow managed to take out 5,000 words and did a fantastic job in it. Same with the third book. I just submitted it to the editor. It's also 95,000. Mm -hmm. um, I obviously use a lot more words of description that a professional editor can come in and kind of manipulate. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I write until it is done and then I go back. So sometimes I think with my second one, I got almost up to 99,000 before I went back and started editing it. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have, um, as you're writing, do you have in your head like this many words per chapter? Do you have chapters laid out? Like how do you, how do you kind of determine where all those fall? So once again, my editor uh, <laughs> did not like that because that, to be honest, in, I, I know pages are supposed to be consistent because I have it in the two person because it's in the um, for the protagonist and the the hero. So it's in both of their their thoughts. It goes back and forth. Okay. So I most of the time I have it in one focus and then it switch shifts. Um, so I try to keep it consistent. But when I first write, it is not consistent. Um, mm -hmm. I try to keep it going. And there are some chapters where I feel, okay, I don't want to shift into their train of thought because there's so much going on. Let's just move it to the next one. Mm -hmm. So um, most of the time, you know that, but I, I need to be better. And I think better writers or more experienced writers do focus on the word count for the chapters. Mm -hmm. And maybe when I hit number 20 or 30, like a lot of your, your um, authors, um, maybe I'll have it down. But by now I just kind of write 
Mm-hmm. So um, what you're referring to is just, you know, saying, okay, chapter one, you know, it's going to have 2000 words and then each chapter should be about 2000 words. Is that kind of what you're saying? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Ideal, kind of. Ideally, but ideally. Yes. Yeah. And you know, those, those rules, um, I don't know if you've ever read any Stephen King or anything, but he does this funny thing where once in a while in his books, you'll see he'll write like one sentence and that'll be a chapter. It's like the weirdest thing. Um, and so it's like, there are all these funny rules. Like we always think it's gotta be like this, but you know, everybody breaks it and everybody kind of does their own thing. But, um, but yeah, I I think, you know, it's just the flow. Sometimes it's reader experience. It's just that there is an expectation. Like James Patterson writes these like 700 word to a thousand word chapters, you know, just constantly just page turning others, write 5,000 words, you know, 10,000 word chapters. It just, you know, it's kind of preference, but setting that expectation up front can kind of be good. Um, so let's, let's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And, and there are some times where I write a whole chapter and then all of a sudden I thought I really want to shift just to his perspective or her perspective just Mm -hmm. for a few, you know, just almost like for a couple small paragraphs, you know, kind of just a quick shift. So I will do that. But yeah, I mean, it's, Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen King can do whatever he wants at well, this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, James Patterson. Yeah, they they do whatever they want. Um, <laughs> so let's let's dig further into that process. So you're using kind of a basic outline, maybe in your head or written down. Right. <clears throat> you're going straight through, and then what is your your editing like for you? Not your editor, but you yourself. So when you come back into the work, what are you looking for? How are you editing? What what are you kind of changing, rewriting? What does that kind of process look like for you? Well, um. Most of the time after when I go back to to start the second time, um, I wonder if I'm actually literate. So that's always a <laughs> that, thing. That's, um, that's normal. Yeah. So I go back and I go, okay. And and that's one advantage. I think there's a difference between someone who is trained, who's who's gone to school for four years, who has the outline written out, everything. I, I think it when they go back to start editing it, it's it goes a lot easier. For me, I just I just go back. And I start over and then I go, okay, I like, I like what I do here. I like what I did here. This is the basic outline, even though it's more than the outline. And then I start adding to it. I go, okay, I want more banter here. Um, or I want more description here. And then I start adding to it. Um, it's, and I just make sure that it all, it all lines up. So I actually, like I said, being a new writer, I'll go through editing it five, six times before I then send it out to my beta readers. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, so I go through it once. And as you know, for people who've written books, when you go through to edit a book, you're committing just to read through is like 10 hours. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a long process. Sure. Would you say you're more of a, um, some call adder, excuse me, adder inners or taker outers. Um, so some write first draft very thin and then they add in color. So they add in more dialogue, add in more description. They just want to get the story out first. Others write, super wordy everything and then they take stuff out that's just too much and would you say where do you land on that uh definitely the adder inner okay yeah i'm I'm more of an adder inner i i kind of have to like get the big story out and then i kind of make it pretty afterwards like oh they should say more funny stuff here you know <laughs> or or the description needs to be over here so it's not boring um well and like i said once you once you get to that ending once you get to kind of that aha moment at the end where you're like this is where the characters will end up it's so easy to go back and then manipulate the character mm-hmm. to make sure it ends up that way where it's right. believable. Right. So like I said, the, the third book, when I first wrote, I thought, gosh, this person is just so depressing. She's got, and then I thought I can't have it that way. I need mm-hmm. to make her more 
uplifting or no one's going to want to read it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and now she's awesome. Just in case yeah. you want to know. It's awesome. No, that's good. That's really helpful. I mean, those listening, like thinking about character motivations, like w- if she's like this or he's like this, then why did he do that? Or why did he, you know, or if they're like, yeah, they do seem kind of, you were talking about, was it your third book? You said that was very sad. Maybe I don't want it as sad. So how do I, how do I manipulate? So it comes out a little different, you know, I don't want to jump out a window after I read it. Um, but well, that again, it, it's, another thing is for people who've written a lot of books, when I first finished the first book, I thought the characters in it, you know, are Lady Eliza Beckett and Lord Benedict Sinclair. They are like the best characters in the entire world. There will never be better characters than those two. And then you finished, then I finished the second book and I thought, oh, Lord Jonathan and Lady Hannah, they're like <laughs> the best characters in the world. There's, you know, I think I might like them more, you know, and then you get to the third one. You're like, oh, no, those characters are the best. <laughs> and it's almost like, I don't want to say it's your children because yeah. they are fictional yeah. killer characters. I do know the difference, but you become very attached to them. Right. I just, I was writing, um, so I'm doing NaNoWriMo with my, my oldest son and we're writing two little short kids books. And, and I, I brought in a character and I just, I don't know what it is when you bring in a new character. It's just like everything changed. You're just like, I love this character. Like I, it was just a new character. Like he wasn't even like a main character, but I'm just like, I love this guy. Like the, I, this is how I imagine this guy to be, you know, it's just, it's a weird, like you get way too attached to like, okay, that Ryan, this isn't real. Like this, is, <laughs> this is not your name. This is not your brother. This is not, but it's so fun. Like, you're just like, oh, this is the best guy ever, you know? And what? Oh, he did that. That's so funny. Anyway. Um, and, and it's also interesting too, because um, I have a character in my first book, uh, Mr. Larson, and he is actually, um, he's not Lady Eliza's bodyguard, but he's assigned to protect her. Anyways, he becomes almost like a second father to her. Like they're very close. And I've had more people say that that is their favorite character in the book because he, his job is to protect. So he makes, he does make a lot of witty retorts and stuff towards, you know, you know, the lady Eliza's love interest, but it's amazing who the people who are reading your book find the most appealing. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, I love that character. Right, right. And some people are, I want to spin off with him. And I'm yeah. like, well, he is like 50, but right. I guess I could. Oh man. That, it's almost the worst. Like I'm like, wait, you're not even talking about the main character. You're talking about some like fourth character. That's like, kind of has like <laughs> a few lines, you know, like I had that with one of my, I wrote this little crime adventure thing and, you know, they're like, oh, we love that one character, but then you like killed her off. I'm like, what? Her? What? <laughs> like, anyway. Um, no, I love that. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit. So we, we've talked a little bit about writing your process. Um, you know, just writing through, coming back and editing it. You know, a few times over, sending it to beta readers. Um, let's talk a little about design. So, um, are you? Uh, are these books published uh, with like a publisher? Are they doing all the design and formatting stuff, cover stuff? Are you having that outsourced? What what, what was kind of thinking on your design? You have a great cover, well, by the way. Uh, it's interesting because when I I got my book, I finished it, and there was another author named Rebecca Connolly, and I I loved all of her books. My mom and I, you know, there's tons of people, and so I reached out to her to see who her publisher was. Um, she, she's actually, you know, she's LDS and I'm LDS. So I I reached out to her and she gave me the name of her publisher and uh, I contacted the publisher and I guess, and I I might not be seeing the name right, but I believe they're a hybrid publisher Mm -hmm. where, um, I pay them a fee and then they format and do everything else. And then they make sure it goes to sell and everything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, uh, so I, I pay for my editor and then I pay for the cover artist and then I then hand it off to Phase Publishing, 
and then they take care of everything else. Okay. And then um, once that's done, then I go into marketing. I'm responsible for marketing, which sure. in itself is a full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, so yeah, they're, so they're handling all your formatting, all your yeah. design, all that stuff. Um, yes. But just authors listening, even if you're traditionally published, you're doing all the marketing, just so you know. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, that's the myth. I think everyone's like, well, if I can just be getting a traditional publishing, I don't have to worry about that. Um, but unless you're Stephen King or James Patterson that has a million dollars behind your marketing budget and you have commercials, you're doing Facebook, you're doing ads, you're doing everything you can to get the word out. So, um, so that, that answers a little bit of that. So, so talk a little bit about your promotion then, um, since most of the design is taken care of, um, what, what have you been doing? What's been successful? Um, you're obviously selling some books, so. You know, what have you found to be kind of the secret sauce for getting the uh, the, the book out into the world? Well, um, my publisher has put um, the price of my ebook for one ninety nine. Since I'm a new author, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to get as many people to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook has been absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Um, also, going on podcasts. So, thank you very much on these. Getting my word out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot of free promotion, a lot of free trying to get my books just into readers because I just want people to read it. Sure. Um, Especially with my second one coming out, it's a part of a series. So you have to, well, you don't have to, but I strongly encourage you to read the first one before Mm -hmm. the second one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just connecting. I also, another thing is, is anytime someone says, like text me, hey, I love your book. I almost always say, please, please review it on Amazon. And sometimes I feel like I'm borderline harassing people, but Mm -hmm. it's like, no, please Please yep. put it on Amazon because that's how the world knows mm-hmm. that someone likes this book. Sure. So it's just it's it takes a lot of time trying to get people. Also, I'm in the middle of a blog tour, mm-hmm. so um, I discovered what that was. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly reaching out to people, um, asking if they'll review my book and put it on their blog. And also, at the beginning, I wasn't as selective. Now, not all blogs is a good fit for your book. Right. Um, there are some blogs that uh, my book is a very clean book. It's mm-hmm. um, there is a scandalous makeout scene in the carriage, Uh-oh. but the reason why that's scandalous is because back in 1813, you didn't actually kiss a lady until you were married. They could have mistresses, mm-hmm. but they could not have kiss a lady. <laughs> very critical. But right. Anyways, and so that's why it's scandalous. Not so much that what's going on, but there are some of these sites that it's a lot more risque. Um, I had one person who gave me a three out of five stars because she says it's a good book, but I wish I knew it was clean. I would have liked a little more racy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So you, you do have to find what blogs fit sure. for you and what sites fit for you. Yeah. No, that, that's some really good advice. Uh, I, you know, I think what you're saying is really, really important and helpful for our audiences. You know, the connection, the relationships, you know, really the first book, you're just trying to get people to read it. And, you know, you, you can't expect it's going to be a bestseller and, you know, you're going to retire off of it is, is really just, you know, especially if you know, you're going to write more books and have more in the series. Like you got to think long-term long game. It's just getting it in the hands of readers. That's all you're really trying to do. Um, and free, you know, give it away for free, do whatever, you know, beg, plead, borrow, whatever. Um, it's just get it in the hands. And that's, and I don't think people realize, I mean, again, other than we've used this analogy to death, but King or Patterson or whoever, um, is it's a household name, which, most authors aren't. And so you're, you have to do it this way. It's kind of the, you know, the equivalent of hitting the pavement, you know, and just saying, Hey, here's my book. Here it is. You know, check it out, put it on your blog, you know, get on the podcast. I mean, I think that's, and it's actually one of the reasons I started this podcast was, um, to, to really promote, 
you know, obviously we want to help writers, but we also want to promote their work. And we want to, to say, Hey, there's these great authors out in the world that most have never heard of. Like I, I, people are shocked. Like this is the, my best comment and I love it. And they're going to say it about you too, is they're going to pick up your book and go, Oh, I'm so glad you had her on. I love her books. Um, and I've never heard of them. I mean, I have authors that literally wrote 29 books in a year and they've never heard of them, you know? And it's like, but it shows you, it shows you like, that's how writing and publishing is. It's most authors are unknown. They're, you're not going to notice them on the street. And yet there's fantastic authors in the world with great books and there's so much uh, great stuff out there. And so, so part of that is to say, Hey, check out these, these great people that are writing, you know, you like romance, you like historical romance, you like sci-fi, you like whatever. Um, there's a lot of people out there doing good stuff. And so, so it kind of changes the narrative a little bit. I think we, we assume too, even if you're self-published or hybrid or whatever, it's not good or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, so promotion, that's huge relational connecting, doing whatever you can, you know, and also the hybrid is one of the reasons is, like I said, I contacted the publisher in May. Um, I think the end of May and by September 1st, my book was out. And then this one, um, I submitted it, and the book's going to be out December 1st. A hybrid company can get the the work done a lot faster. Traditional, I, I would still be waiting for my book to yeah. be published right now. Yeah, you're looking so at So there's definitely more of a time time issue. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at 18 months, 24 months sometimes. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely – I mean, that's – you know, people don't know this, but, you know, famous big-name authors that have sold millions, they, you know, they used to write under pen names because they couldn't get their work out fast enough. And so they get frustrated, and they're waiting for their novel to come out, and they're writing short stories in between, they're writing other novels in between, and sometimes releasing them under pen names because they're – you know, their publisher's so slow. And they're, you know, they're prolific. Like, they're – I mean, people think, like, oh, they only write one book a year, but actually they've probably written, like, five. They're just waiting for them all to come out. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, that's, re- that's really good. Um, so you, you have a future series. This is always a, a fun question to ask. So you, you have, it sounds like at least three books plotted out. Um, uh, at least as of right now, um, it's about six. Okay. So I have, I'm getting, I'm starting on the fourth one right now. Like I said, the third one is with the editor and that should be out, um, no later than April. Okay. Um, right now it's slated for April 1st. I'm still hoping optimistic it will come before then. And, um, the fourth one. And then, yeah, they're all in my head. Cause one of the advantages of the series is actually the Beckett files mm-hmm. and the Beckett is the surname. So lady Eliza Beckett. Mm-hmm. Second one is uh, Lord Jonathan Beckett. And it's about a whole family. That's like a spy family. Mm-hmm. And so you could, even though there are four kids in the family, it's the Beckett Files. They can go on and mentor other spies because the uncle is the chief spy master. Mm-hmm. So I've actually already have after that um, characters. Now the first four are all about lords and ladies, but there are there will be continuous mm-hmm. lord and ladies because if you could be a lord or a lady back in the eighteen hundreds, why wouldn't you? So mm-hmm. in my mind, those are always the best. But so right now it's six six okay. books as of right now. Great. Now I might have missed this. I'm not sure if I did or correct me if I'm wrong, but. So did you write um, the first three like right in a row or did you like publish the first one then write the second one or were you already working on – because it sounds like you have them already kind of ready like the next one will be December already. Is that one well, done? Is your second one done already? Uh, the second one should be out December 1st. Okay. So it should um, – the publisher has it right now. Okay. But you do have it – you have it done. Like you're you're done yeah. editing it. You're done. Okay. D- done everything. Well, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, unless the publisher really sees something major. But um, no, it's when my first one, the problem 
when I first wrote the first one is um, I kept having friends that were, they were friend copy editors. They were, they were ones that had gone to college, but they were friends. And so I hired them to copy edit, but they weren't real copy editors. Mm -hmm. And I went through one and then my friend got pregnant. She didn't want to do it. And then, um, so, so I just, I kept going through, I didn't have the right person. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the difference is I kept going through these editors that that were good, that were decent, but they didn't have the time. They were kind of doing it. Hey, I'll do it for you on the side. Mm -hmm. Once I hired, once I got the publisher, the publisher recommended the right editor, then that's when everything sped up. So Mm -hmm. I had the first book written and then I was already working on the second one while the first one was being edited and it went through a few editors' hands. Mm -hmm. And then I got the professional editor who spent the time on it. And then we got the book out within like a month. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the turnaround for once it gets to the editor, how long do they take to finish? Once you got to the professional editor? Um, My professional editor, so I just submitted my third one to her last week. And she's going to give it back to me by January 15th. Um, The reason why is just because of the holidays. Mm -hmm. We have the holidays going on. So that will be the first round edits. Mm -hmm. So once she sends it back to me, I then, of course, because I'm slightly ADHD or ADD type personality, I will work on it until it's completely done within a few day period. Mm -hmm. And ignore my children and my family completely. Mm -hmm. But I will turn around with all the notes and I will send it back to her. Within a week, she'll have it back to me, and then we send it off to the publisher. Okay. Yeah, I think it's – I was just trying to set expectation for people that send their work to editors. I think, you know, depending on your production schedule or model, um, how many books you want to get out, like, you know, some editors are really, really fast. Some are longer. I mean, mine's three to four weeks on average, and that's pretty standard. So I kind of have to know that going in. You know, if I'm wait, if I'm like, oh, I got to get this out. I got to pre-order on this date. You know, that's always going to be deadly. Um, But, yeah, like you said, holidays – if they're got a huge load of books they're working through and you're one of many, you know, that all exactly. factors in. And so, yeah, so sometimes you got, we got to be patient and, and know that it's going to take some time, but you know, definitely worth the money and the effort. Well, um, and she could, I mean, the editor did say she could have it back January 1st, mm-hmm. but I thought, okay, with the holidays going on, yeah. I want her best work. Yeah. So if we pushed it back to the 15th, that won't be that big of a deal. Yep. Yep. And you don't, you know, you don't want your editor too much eggnog and who knows how the book's going to come out and it just, <laughs> Very true. you know, yes. anyway. Um, well, that's great. So, um, I love, I love that model. I think, you know, for people that are starting out, you know, you don't have to write in a series, but I know for new authors, having a series is helpful. You're trying to build, you know, it's all about backlist. You know, if you don't have anything else to go to, you know, it's great. You have one book, but you obviously are thinking towards the future by December, you have two and then, you know, April three and, you know, Lord willing, you'll have, you know, a few more. And, um, and that's, that's, it gets people into the go, Oh, look, Laura, I like Laura beer. She has some great stuff. And then there's more stuff on the digital shelf to check out. And, um, you know, series is a great way to start. If you have a series idea. Um, now tell me a little bit, just one more kind of detail along the series conversation is, do you have like your books kind of, they end like they're contained stories. Are they cliffhangers? Are they, um, you know, totally new characters the next time through or same characters with some new ones. Talk us through that a little bit. Um, it, so the first one, it, it definitely, cause I had a couple people when I told them a second book come out, they go, Oh yeah. Okay. I could see you leading into that, which I'm like, I thought I made it pretty dang obvious, but <laughs> the first one, um, the, the first one definitely ends with it because it is a story of it's a court, you know, a romance one. So they end up getting married or that. Um, and so, 
they definitely, their characters, they end with a happily ever after. Mm-hmm. But it's always a tie into the next one. So, mm-hmm. like, for example, in the first book, Lady Eliza Beckett, um, her brother, Lord Jonathan, while Lady Eliza is partnered with Lord Benedict Sinclair, and they're falling in love and stopping this white slavery ring, he is off searching for Lady Hannah. And so he's off searching her because her father has documents proving that there is an assassination attempt against Preeny, the Prince Regent. So that's mentioned. So Jonathan comes in and out of the picture, but he's off trying to find Lady Hannah. So then in the second book, Lord Jonathan finds Lady Hannah, and it's that story. And then at the end of that that one, um, it ties it into the next one. There's you know something that's missing. So there's always this one piece that ties into something mm-hmm. else, but it's not like a cliffhanger that mm-hmm. you, let's say, for example, you put the book down and then you go, okay, I, I can't read anything for like two or three months. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be sitting there going, my life is over. I have no idea what happened. <laughs> that was too much of a bombshell. Right. You know what I mean? It'd yeah. be like, okay. And then you pick up, hopefully people just love my book so much that they just read it through, power right. through it. But if not, they're not, um, it, it's not like a Harry Potter where it's like a big cliffhanger or something. Okay. So. Yeah, I, I know. I've heard in romance that's like a no-no. Um, if you have a cliffhanger, they want to tie you up and <laughs> burn and, you. And you have to have a happily ever after. Yeah, and happily ever after. Yes, that's another one. No one can die. It's got to be happy. And, and an epilogue. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very big on epilogues nice. and happily ever after because if I'm going to make fictional characters, yeah. I want them to hit live happily ever after with 25 babies mm-hmm. and they're completely happy. You know what I mean? Not mm-hmm. tw- obviously not 25 kids, but. Sure. It's every single one of mine has a happily ever after, but the characters do go in and out and people die in my books. Mm. So characters will die. Um, and that was one of my first thing when my, I gave my beta people the books. I'm like, okay, these people are dying and they all came back. That's real life. Mm-hmm. These people would have died. Right. And so right. it made me feel better, but right. there are some very characters that I build up and you think it's great and then they die and it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But it's not the main characters because they they're happily ever after. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. And then the series ends if you kill off all the main characters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you uh, you have shared a, a ton of great advice, and I, we love hearing your story and um, a lot of a lot of uplifting things, exciting things. But I always like to ask, what was what's been your biggest kind of failure as a writer, as a publisher? Anything that comes to mind where you just say, you know, I really really missed it on this one. Uh, yes. So. It's really embarrassing to say, and my publisher was really nice about it, but I did, there was something called like on Facebook, um, it was a kind of like an invite thing where everyone comes on Facebook and then they interview the author on Mm -hmm. Facebook. Well, it was one of the, Rebecca Connolly, who was also at my um, company, uh, she's, she's a great author, she's written so many books, and anyway, so I thought, oh, everyone likes Rebecca Connolly's books. So they'll like my book. So I just started liking all of her friends. Mm-hmm. That's a huge no-no. Mm. That's like, as my publisher said, that's like taking their Rolodex mm. and look at making all these phone calls. Mm-hmm. I didn't do all of her friends, just ones that came to this, mm-hmm. this chat. And anyways, and so my publisher said, you can't do that. Very nice about it. Rebecca Connolly was very nice about it, everything. But I felt so horrible because I just thought, oh, if they like Regency romances, <laughs> they'll like my book. Right. You know, and then I, I had, so I added all these friends and stuff, and um, 
I did, I just felt horrible because I didn't know it was, mm -hmm. that's the difference. It was ignorance. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that, so you cannot go to people's, your author's, you know, favorite site and start adding all their friends. Mm -hmm. That is, or not all their friends, but friends, um, you, you haven't earned them as sure. a friend yet. Sure. I should say these people. No, that's, that's good. I mean, I, I think, you, you know, you've been, you're pretty embarrassed for me, aren't you now? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, you know, I, you've shared very candidly the whole time, like, Hey, you're learning about everything. And I think that's, that's part of the ups and the downs of public writing and publishing is there's so many things that we just are, are naive to. And, uh, I, I mean, I get emails every week, like, Hey, what, what about this? Or how do we do this? And, and, you know, sometimes you think well, that's just common sense, but you realize it's just, a there's a lot of things to learn, you know, and I, I always tell our, our authors or aspiring authors is get to know the business, get to know the publishing side as well. And just kind of, you know, cause there's sometimes some unwritten rules or just the technical stuff, the business stuff, you know, get, read books on that and talk to people, talk to other authors about that. You know, you've talked about using, doing hybrid and, and other things like if there's contracts involved or there's cost involved, like make sure you know what you're signing up for, what you're doing, that you're not getting ripped off. You're not, you know, signing up for something yeah. weird. And to be honest, I would, I would be writing more, um, it, but it is more of an expense up front mm -hmm. to write my books, get my professional editor, do that. And so that's one of my things is I'm not writing as much because I need to start making some money back right. before I can start doing more, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. So there is, there's definitely some upfront cost, but for someone like me, I have to have a professional editor. Mm -hmm. It's, I, there's no other way around it. Yep. Yeah. And I, w I would say anyone listening, if you're going to skimp, don't skimp on the editing. Um, you know, you can find, yeah. you can find actually like pre-made covers that are really, really cheap, but look really good. Um, but if you're going to skimp, don't, don't skimp on editing. Cause that's, you know, that's when people throw out your book and <laughs> you know, don't pick it back up. And cause you, you want people to have a good reading experience. Like they may not love the story. They may never read anything you, you write again, but if there's like filled with inconsistencies, typos, grammar, and that's just, yep. they're weeding through all of that. Like they're, they're not coming back. And so, um, right. so, you know, make sure you get other eyes on it. Um, I mean, I've had people that have literally said, Oh, I don't even use an editor. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, um, because it's that human. I mean, it is, it's the human element. I mean, there's a, you can use software and you can use, yourself but you're human and you're going to miss stuff because if you rewrite and edit a book six times you miss stuff all the time you just see the same words over and over it's amazing like our brains just don't see it it's just like oh i missed that again i missed a word i left out a word um yeah. you know spelled there the wrong there and the wrong were and the wrong you know um yeah that that's important so um so thanks for for sharing that so um as we kind of wind up the the interview i always do a couple quick hit um, questions. And these are fun questions for our audience, uh, to recommend, you know, great books and great resources. So I'm going to ask a couple of those. What's a must read fiction and or nonfiction book that people need to read. And it can't be your own. Dang it. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, to me, just any books right now I'm reading Caroline Fife's her Montana series. I just absolutely love it. Jennifer Moore, all of her books. Um, but see, once again, I'm shying towards Regency spy romances, mm -hmm. so I tend to read those. Um, it's all right. So, um, Haven or Haven Cross would be always a good one by Julie Danes. Any uh, any nonfiction? It's it's embarrassing. The last nonfiction one I read was about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, oh. I, I am fascinated by history. 
Um, anything about presidents. I love reading anything specific. I can't think of anything, but mm-hmm. um, I, I love picking up books and reading about our past presidents. Great. Love it. Any uh, much, excuse me, not much, must watch TV or film? My son recently has gotten me onto um, The Green Arrow Okay. on the CW, which is kind of embarrassing. Um, I've been watching his shows. Um, but obviously the best movie in the entire world is Wonder Woman. There's no better movie than Wonder Woman. I have to check that out. My wife and I, we have a gift card for that. And we keep saying, well, I want to see Wonder Woman. I, want to see, I mean, it's probably on, on demand. You haven't seen no we haven't and i'm yeah. so embarrassed for you right now i know well we don't we like we have a young family we don't go to movies we have to wait till they're streaming or you know downloadable or you know how old are your kids uh my oldest is 10 and my youngest is two and then we have one on the way so oh, congratulations um, so yeah so we're kind of in that um we have yeah three with three boys and a girl coming so um my youngest is six. Well, he's now seven, but he watched Wonder Woman in the theater. Okay. And absolutely loved it. Okay. So. Yeah, I've heard great things. I mean, nothing but positive. Yeah, I heard it's pretty awesome. Um, great. Going to put that in there. Um, let's see. Must must have any, like, software tools that you recommend? Well, you saw how talented I was with my husband's headset that I tried earlier okay. when I tried to talk to you. Um, I just... No, I don't. I'm not very yep. technical savvy. Microsoft Word to write my book, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. That's an, I'll write that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I know it's so funny. Like, I, you know, it's funny. The reason I ask that question is because I want writers to hear this too. Is like, you don't need some magic for you know special writer software that like writes for you. It's like so many writers are just like, well, I just use Word. I don't know. I use Pages. Like, it's just it's it's just a vehicle. I absolutely love it. I love, I have a tablet and it's an older tablet. It's mm-hmm. a Microsoft, um, the surface. Okay. One of the first ones that came out, my husband keeps wanting to upgrade it. And I say, why it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's a Microsoft surface. I can take it onto the airplane with me mm-hmm. and I just pull it up and start writing. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. So final question. We always ask this question. Um, we call it three writerly truths. And so you're, um, wandering around a historical Regency era, uh, how would I say the street and, um, you find this microphone, um, even though there probably weren't microphones back then. Um, but this microphone is live and it's hot and you have an opportunity to speak three writerly truths to aspiring writers. What would those truths, what would those bits of wisdom be? Well, first of all, as a woman, um, back in that day, I wouldn't be allowed to talk in public, but (laughs) I will pretend. We'll we'll make an exception. (laughs) Um, One is um, never despair. Just keep writing. Even if you think what you're writing is crap at the time, Mm -hmm. it it will get better. Um, Two, believe in yourself. I really believe what's held me off from writing for so long was my own insecurities. Mm -hmm. I just didn't didn't believe it. Um, Push through your own insecurities and trust. And then... um, Trust that you have a story worth sharing. If you honestly believe that your story is worth sharing, then you you tell people that. And it's and that's another you're never gonna please everyone. Mm-hmm. There's some people that my lowest rating is a three out of five. And to me, a three out of five is like that is horrible, detrimental. Mm-hmm. But you're never gonna please everyone. I, right. I had one complaint where someone said I wished Lady Eliza knew hand to hand combat. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, hand-to-hand combat didn't exist in 1813, <laughs> but it, it was just along the process of yeah. 
even though she knew the longbow and throw daggers and can decipher enemy codes and knew like 10 languages. Oh, the problem that you have with the story is she doesn't know hand to hand combat. You know, you're not going to please everyone. And it's hard. I mean, it's easier said than done. That's like saying, I wish she hadn't, you know, an iPad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, I love review reviews make me laugh. Cause I, I get my reviews too. And it's like, you know, th- th- they give it a one star because Amazon didn't deliver it quick enough, you know, or, or, you know, and you're just like, you don't even talk about the story in there. That's not fair. You know, or, you know, it's just silly things. Yeah. It's, it's so subjective, but no, I, I love some great advice there, you know, being, being yourself, just not dis- despairing, just trusting the story. Again, I think we have to realize like you're not writing books for, 10 million people you're writing for stories for very unique not everybody's going to read historical romance you know or whatever um but people are going to love it too so um well laura um as we wrap up uh tell us uh where the best place to find you is and people can find all your books and all your and connect with you um the best place is facebook at author laura beers um i i do have a blog but it is under construction because i'm not super tech savvy, but I will get it up there. I'm also on Instagram, also Laura Beers, um, and Twitter, La- author L underscore Beers. Great. Well, Laura, it was a privilege uh, getting to meet you and uh, and celebrate your first book and more books to come. And thank you so much for sharing tons and tons of great advice and wisdom and inspiration. And you're going to help a lot of people. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And you have to go see Wonder Woman because literally the yes. best movie ever. I'm going to go right now. So, <laughs> but we don't, you don't Thank know when you. this is coming on. So, you know, you, you, you this, this is podcast, podcast time. So, you know, that could be four months from now. So. Oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Laura. We'll talk to you real soon. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, Laura Beers, rocking the interview. What a great person what a great delight to hear her story just the the challenges of starting the the challenges of stopping writing and then beginning writing again her journey through technical writing to fiction writing and so go check out her website laura beers go check out her new book historical romance if you like that kind of genre and uh, she's got more stuff coming out and so thank laura beers for coming on the show go find her go look her up she's a she's a helpful resource for you hope you're encouraged hope you're inspired and also as i mentioned before please leave a review on itunes uh, or stitcher or google play or wherever you found us uh, soundcloud it really helps us get the show out in the world it's kind of that uh, that's social proof and people like that kind of stuff. And I don't know, maybe it helps algorithms. Who knows? Um, but thank you for all the kind comments. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for all the goodness and love and the questions that you have and, and the ways we've been able to interact and help each other has been such a huge blessing. So thank you for listening in. And this is the prolific writer, Ryan J. Pelton, and I am signing off. And I just have one last thing to say is go get those words on the page and I'll talk to you real, real soon.